We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team, for leading us. It is good to sing together, and um, it's great to hear you. What a joyful church we have. Pretty friendly church. Jonathan, was it hard to get them in today? No. No, no. It was, it was great, yeah. You guys are free to talk and free to do that. Hey, kids, you are dismissed. Age seven and down, you can head on back to Children's Church, to Kids Zone. Have a great time. We'll be thinking and praying for you as you study and learn about the gospel. Moms and dads, make sure you ask them what they learned when they get back. Good stuff. What a good bunch of kids. Well, hey, would you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6? Today we'll be in verses 1 through 4. Romans 6, 1 through 4. And while you're turning there, just a quick financial update. The numbers uh, are in from 2020, and uh, we met budget for our church this year. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Uh, that's a very spiritual announcement, by the way. Like, like money is, is a, an indication of your heart. And through a year of COVID, you guys gave above and beyond. And, uh, you, you, and, and the Lord was so pleased with, with how you handled your finances. Um, we not only met budget, but we exceeded it by $5,000, which is pretty great. If you're new with us, we're a church plant. This is year three. Our mama church, our planting church, our sending church, whatever you want to call it, um, uh, uh, said, hey, we'll cover the, the, everything 100% first year. Second year, we'll, we'll pitch in 75%. Next year, 50 Next year. And so we met our, our budgeting costs of 75%. So it's awesome. It's awesome. So by the end of this year, we're praying that we would be fully funded as a church that stands on her own. Uh, so continue to pray and join with us as we uh, see the gospel go out in Mainville. So it's pretty exciting. So that is good news. That is good news. This is awesome news. Ready? Verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Verse 4. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That is good news right there. Let's pray and then we'll get started. And so, Father, 
Thank you for your scripture and thank you that and through it we have the very words of eternal life. We say this a lot. It's like when we read the scriptures, it's, it's like heaven itself opens up and we hear from you in black and white. But it doesn't just stay on a page. It jumps off of it and it calls those whom you love, whom you've set your affections on. And they draw near to you and they grow. And it's this invisible work that we don't always know how it works, but we see it in tangible ways. And we even heard about it this morning in testimonies. And so we're asking now, would you use this scripture to transform lives this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so Romans chapter 6. If you're visiting with us, we have been in Romans for a while. We've covered 1 through 5. 1 through 5. 1 through 5 is all about how God justifies the sinner. He declares them to be righteous. And now, the question is, okay, if God has said, bang, 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 I'm the judge, and by faith, if you've received me, you are righteous. You stand perfect before me. The question naturally comes up. Huh, well, why ain't I perfect? Right? Like, why am I still sinning? Hey, Lord, are you going to help me out with that? Or is this just something that is nice to have? And then I go to heaven later, but you've left me alone with my sin. And we know from Elijah this morning, that's not true, right? That's not true. That's not true. Friends, we are a church, which, which means that we are a bunch of sinners that gather together who have the Spirit of God, who grow in Him and delight to be like Him. And so this morning, we're going to start jumping into texts that will answer these questions. Hey, how do I deal with my junk? I thought this like Christian life thing was just, he was going to wipe me clean from the penalty of sin and everything was going to be like a petunia. Like it was just going to smell like roses. It was going to be, what about all this sin? This is a big deal. And um, if you might, if, you're, if your reaction so far is like, wow, uh, this, uh, this Newman guy, he's kind of starting serious. Um, I, I am. Like, I want to match the tone of the scripture this morning. If you know me outside of behind this pulpit, you know, I'm pretty jovial. But especially coming after, after 2020, you know that the lost are wondering what will happen if I receive Christ, how do I deal with the darkness, with the shadows? Friends, this will be so life-changing for you. Not only for your life, but if you listen, if you tune in especially to the next three chapters, chapter 6, 7, and 8, which is sanctioned apart to be the, the chapters on sanctification, how to grow in the Christian life, you will be ready and equipped to share the gospel, to answer the hard questions, to walk the line, and to counsel people 
out of their sin and into newness of life. And it will be beautiful. It'll be a great journey. I promise your life will be changed from it. Because they are asking these deep questions. They're asking, what about this sin stuff? So the title uh, this morning, if you're taking notes, uh, is Dead to Sin, Alive to Christ. Dead to Sin, Alive to Christ. And there will be three points that uh, mark our time together. The first one is, uh, what shall we say then? Question mark. Point number two is dead to sin. And point number three is alive to Christ. Let's dive in. Point number one, what shall we say then? Here's verse one. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? All right. So because we're starting Romans again, let's just use the word then as a little bit of review. Okay. The word then, what shall we say then is actually really important. So chapter one, we learned about the condemnation of Gentiles. Okay. Gentiles is a fancy word to say everyone else except Jews. They're all condemned. Chapter 2, we learn the condemnation of Jews. And they too are condemned. Chapter 3, we learn in the Romans Road and kids worship, things like that. We learn chapter 310 that there is none righteous. No, not. We learn that everyone was condemned. Everyone was condemned. And in chapter 4, we just, we, we saw this beautiful pocket, like spring forth like a fountain, which said that God actually delights and justifies the sinner. He likes it. He wants to do it. He saves the ungodly. That's our gospel. And it is beautiful. Um, and so, if, if you... If you follow the natural or logical argument of Paul in this passage, you'll go like this, okay? So if God freely justifies, if he loves to do that, if he loves to justify the ungodly, the sinner, and then he, and then he like justifies by faith, is the Christian life, is Christianity, does this gospel promote a lifestyle of lawlessness? Does it promote licentiousness? Can I become a Christian and just keep on doing whatever I want? And Paul, in plain language, basically says, eh, don't think like that. It doesn't really work like that. So let's, let's watch how he does this. Can you feel the tension, though? Can you, can you follow that line of thinking and go, that's actually a really good question. Wait, what? How am I supposed to handle those logical conclusions? Does Paul? Yes. Yes. Have you ever felt like that? Or let me ask a personal question. Have you ever thought those same questions? Hey, if I become a Christian, I'll be forgiven, right? Yes. So if I keep sinning, do I keep getting forgiven? Yes. Tension? Yes. 
Thank the Lord that the Bible answers these questions. Personal story. I remember uh, when we lived in Texas, and I had the chance to lead worship, and there was this song. I, I remember like grappling with it for a few weeks. I, I withheld it from the body of Christ because I couldn't, I couldn't get there yet. Th- these were the lyrics. Uh, Sing of the mercy that He gives. Though we sin, He forgives. Sing of the mercy that He gives. Sing to the living God. Okay? So though we sin, He forgives. And I was like, I don't want to lead with that song. Why? Well, I, I know these people. And I know they're sinners just like me. And I don't want to like promote sin. Like, hey, church, go on sinning. It'll be fine. He'll forgive you. Man, I certainly don't want to send that message. So I withheld this song for a while until it was like, no. This is, this is true. This is good. This is what I need to hear. Though we sin, he forgives. But we're entering into this, this conversation. And it's going to be good. It's going to be really good. So here's the question. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? The question is asked because just one page earlier, and you can flip um, over there, 520 says the law came to increase the trespass, but we are in, but where, uh, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That's where the question is coming from. So let's see Paul's answer. Point number two, dead to sin. Romans 6, 2 through 3. By no means... How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? All right, so Paul here answers the question. He says, by no means, or some translations say, may it never be. May it never be. Like, don't think like this. These are lies. Don't don't let yourself go there. So if... If you're new to the faith, or you can remember looking back, maybe, maybe when you first repented of your sin and placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you, these initial questions started to arise that were very similar to this. You're like, sweet, I'm a Christian now. That means the penalty of sin has been wiped away. But do I have the power to fight sin now? Do I have the power? Or was this gospel just to kind of, this is a kind of old-fashioned illustration. Kids these days don't use whiteout. But is the gospel just to like white out your mistakes? Or does it actually, is it an agency for change in your life? Yes, you have the power. Before you were a Christian, listen to this. Um, in Ephesians 2, chapter 1, he says you were dead to sin. Forgive me. He says you were dead in sin. That was like, it, it was all-encompassing. That was your identity. You were found in sin. And now Paul is saying right here that you're dead to sin. Okay? So there's something new about you. 
If you believe in Christ, you are different now. You're a different person. Chapter 5 said you were in Adam if you're a non-Christian, right? You're still under the reign and rule of sin, but now you are in Christ. You're under the reign and rule of grace now. Grace changes you, and sin, while still affects you, you're not under, you don't have to sin. You have the power now to sin, to not sin because of Jesus. Paul says, you're dead to that because you have a new regime. John Knox, old dead guy, said this, we have died once and for all to sin. Can we breathe its air again? All right, so far, hang with me, okay? If you've been looking at Excel spreadsheets all week, this might be like, oh my goodness, theological dump truck coming down, okay? So let me just like talk to you for like plainly. All right, Newman, like thank you, that's nice and all, um, but I still sin, right? Like I'm still a Christian, but I don't feel like I've conquered this whole sin thing. And so the question is, in what sense am I dead to sin, right? Like, I'm, I know, Mike, like, come on, I believe the Bible. Like, I believe what, what it's saying. But this sounds so far to me a little bit utopic. Sounds like, it sounds like Paul is a little bit aloof. And he doesn't quite understand me, doesn't it? And so... Paul begins to answer. Here's where it gets really good. Okay, verse 3. He starts talking about baptism. Do you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? All right, so it's kind of surprising that all of a sudden Paul brings up this strange word baptism, isn't it? It's like, oh, um, I wasn't going to go there if I had to like describe this or argue this. I wonder what he's doing. I wonder what he's thinking, right? Um, so far in the book of Romans, we haven't seen this word, baptism. So why would he use baptism to start describing this concept that you're dead to sin? All right, so it's easy to, to read baptism and immediately jump to like nostalgic feelings about your own baptism, right? Like, oh, I remember when I was baptized. And, or, and I remember like the day like it was yesterday and the sun was shining and the water was so clear. Or you, you read baptism and maybe you immediately jump to denominational differences and you start like, you know, going theological on it and, and like, deciphering which one. Watch what, what Paul does. He uses this word to a Roman audience because they know, they know what baptism is. All right. The word baptism comes from the word baptizo, which means immerse. Okay. And it was used in these times um, to talk about ships that were being sunk. Or people being drowned. Okay? It means like to go under. Um, 
But a little bit more than that, uh, one historian during the time, you might be familiar with this name, Josephus, not a believer, but wrote about the accounts of Christ and things like that, which apologetically, you can say, aha, a non-Christian affirms that, that Jesus was real and did miracles and this and that. We don't agree with everything that Josephus said, but Josephus talked about this word baptism and used it um, to describe how one day when crowds flooded Jerusalem and he used, and they baptized the city and it's translated into the city got wrecked with people crowding it. Okay. Jesus talks about baptism in Mark, Mark 10, write it down in the margin, 10, 38 and Luke 12, 15. And he talks about it as his death. I'll say it again. Jesus refers to his death as baptism. So in summary, here's what I want you to think when you read it. Not like, oh, cool, that day when I had a great lunch at the baptism service or something. Think wrecked with Jesus. Drowned. Dead. Sunk. Under. <laughs> Welcome to church. Isn't that great? I know, but it's so hope giving and you'll see it in a minute. Okay. Uh, if you have a pen out in this week, just take a pen and underline all the times Paul talks about being, being dead or dying in verses one through 14. It's all over the place. Somehow, with this discussion of growing in Christ and sanctification, death is a really important thing to Paul. And we've got to figure out what he means. Okay? So, let's do it. He says, into his death. You were wrecked, submersed, immersed, sunk into the death. Or into his death. That's Jesus. All right, so let's just back up a sec. We know that Jesus died. And because he died, salvation was purchased for the church. Like he purchased a bride on the cross. There was something actually accomplished at the cross. He bought the church. And because Jesus died, get this. We, we can say, if you have faith, you can say, I am a Christian now. And if you are a Christian, you can say this, my sin, I'm dead to that. But if you, if you've never received Christ, you're not a Christian, just to be clear. But also if you've said, mm, I'll take Jesus for the benefits. But if you have never died to yourself, if you've never said, I am sick of my sin and I need Christ and I'm turning from it by his power only. It's not our cool wits or ability or whatever. And look to Christ. Then, friend, you are not a, a Christian. You must die. You must die a physical death. This is why Jesus he invites, he invites people to follow him. And he doesn't just say, well, follow me, but I just, I want you to do whatever you want. Uh -uh. He goes like this, come, 
and ready? Come and die. Come and die. This is the calling of the believer to follow him. Who? Kids, have you ever played follow the, the, the leader? Right. Who plays follow the leader and doesn't follow the leader? I know. You lose. When you follow someone, you say, I, I will follow you. I'll do what you do. And help me because I can't. But no one says, eh, I'll follow you, but I'll do what I want. It's not how it works. And we'll see over time, as we follow these arguments in, in uh, 6, 7, and 8, that God actually changes what you want. <laughs> so that you want what he wants. Bonhoeffer, a pastor during World War II, said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. All right. So here's our gospel. It's pretty attractive, isn't it? Right? Like, what a great evangelism strategy for Jesus and his disciples and like the church throughout time. Wow. Seems like a high bar. Doesn't use like cool language. Like, come and die? I don't want that. But that's the work of regeneration. When God changes your heart of stone into a heart of flesh, you want to live for Him and not for yourself anymore. So, friends, come and die. If you are serious about eternity... And if you're serious about other people who are lost, we must be able to talk about sin in a serious way. And when you call people to Jesus, call them to come and die. And praise the Lord that, that our Lord Jesus was a front runner in that. Like he, someone already did the work Someone already came and died and beat sin. And he was buried and he was victorious over sin. And that is Jesus. That's Jesus. And if you believe in him, you will live. Number three, alive in Christ. Verse four for us. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. We've covered that so far. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too walk in newness of life. Amen. Okay, so in summary, being buried with Christ in baptism means that you have died to sin and its penalties. You are no longer under the sin, uh, under the penalization or the, the penalty of sin. You won't be penalized anymore. But here is the cool part. Because God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. And that was for His glory. That same power is at work in you to those who believe. Every believer has the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And that's what He does. Jesus, He frees sinners from the power of sin and gives him the power to walk in the newness of life. So, 
I say it again, and we will say it especially the next two weeks. And then when we get on into chapter eight as well, like my prayer, my prayer for you men is that when you're tempted to sin this week, when there's something on the computer that you shouldn't be watching, when there's something on the TV or on your smartphone that you shouldn't look at, that you can say now, I'm dead to that. My prayer for you women, when you're thinking in your mind and when you're, you've got thoughts going on and you're, you're, you're like turning it over in your head and over and, and it, you can say, I'm dead. I am dead to that. And I am going to set my mind on the things of the spirit. My prayer for you children, as you, as you like pursue God And hopefully one day, if you haven't already, place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that you would be pure at heart so that you would see God. That's what he says in Matthew 5. He's going to help you do that. But if you have Christ, you don't have to sin. You're not a slave to, to, to sin anymore. You can be a slave to something else, and that is righteousness. How do you do that? Is that you put to death your sin. And you say, I'm dead to that. You have to believe it. Amen? Have you ever gone on a diet? (laughs) Is the Pope Catholic? (laughs) I don't know anymore. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. But when you go on a diet, like, here's how it works, okay? First three days or so, I mean, I'm guessing like, you know, three days, four days, whatever. You really want the food that you once ate, right? Man, it's like, oh, I miss that bacon cheddar cheeseburger. Ah, all right. And you're like, what is this salad? This is like goat food, right? (laughs) Um, And then like day four or five, you kind of start like feeling better because you're not like, Eating ice cream every night and things like that. And, um, and because you've gone without like all that, all that food, you start, your, your palate starts to change. You start wanting the food that you've been eating, which is healthy. And, um, and flavors start coming alive to you. And, and um, you, start, you start liking salads. I know, take my man card, right? But you're like, oh, I'll take a little craisins on my salad, you know? I'm sure, and things like that. And, and before, you're like, no, nah, I'm just a meat dude, right? So your palate physically starts changing after time. It doesn't happen immediately. Can we all agree on that? Oh, boom. No, it happens slowly. And after like, Seven days, 14 days, three weeks, you, be, you begin to see changes. Your palate is being trained in something else. That's conversion. This is the Christian life. It's, it doesn't happen all at once. But slowly your, your desires begin to change because God's spirit is alive and at work in you, training you, helping you, causing change by his grace. Like I've heard testimonies that are so awesome and dramatic and immediate. Like testimonies, uh, one, one I heard recently was, when I gave my life to the Lord, 
I had such a foul mouth. I like cursed like a sailor. And when I came to Christ, it was like that. I just didn't want it anymore. It was filthy to me. It was like taking in something and just spewing it. Ah, I just didn't want that a part of my life anymore. I can't ascribe it to anything except what? That's right. The Spirit of God, the grace of God, like Him changing me, right? Those same people that I've heard, like those dramatic, immediate changes in their testimony, 20, 30, 40 year, years later, are going, still going, I'm still battling this sin in my life. This other sin. Not swearing. <laughs> now I'm wrestling with this. And I'm trusting him through his power in my life to change me slowly. And I, over time, I've seen a trajectory of being victorious. But it is a struggle. And that is the Christian life. The struggle and the battle for sin. Put on the gloves. Battle it out. This isn't in my notes, but friends, stop saying I'm really struggling with sin when you are headlong into it and loving it. You are not struggling with sin. You are loving sin. The Christian and the non-Christian, you want to know what the difference is? The Christian repents of his sin. And not perfectly, but progressively grows. So if you want a theological term, chapters 6, 7, and 8 are talking about the progressive sanctification of the believer. Man, it's rich. So let's close up shop. Applications. Have you heard so far from the, the scriptures from me that you are no longer alive to your sin if you are in christ if you are in union with him which the word union when it's and it says it there means that you're grafted in it's like took a branch and stuck it on a plant or a tree wrapped around it and it'll never let go and now you grow and you benefit and you 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 receive all of the beauties and uh, inheritances as the trunk, as Christ. You become his, his son. You become Jesus' brother. It's beautiful, the unity of Christ. And so righteousness changes you. We'll continue in that. So here's three things to just um, land the plane on, remember, and then we'll talk about these in our community groups. And so take your time with them. Now go home and write them down in your journals and, and ponder, like reflect, ask the Spirit to, to work uh, these three things in your life, okay? Here we go. Number one, remember you are dead to sin. Remember you're dead to sin. Uh, emphasis on remember here, so for application. This is a, 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 an emphasis on the mind, God wants you to walk with him in your mind. It's not just the fuzzy feeling that happens, but your thought life is very important to God. And so um, when you're doing the laundry, when you're washing the dishes, when you're at work, home, play, whatever, a school, that your mind needs to be prepared for action, says Peter. You need to engage your mind in walking with God. Heart, mind, soul. All the faculties of the, of the human, okay? And so remember you're dead to your sin. 
So let's just pause there and let's have a little fun with it, okay? Um, why don't you just take a minute and um, to the person on your right, whisper, uh, whisper your greatest sin ever. <laughs> right? <laughs> just take just 30 seconds, you know, just really, really, you know. And okay, great. I'm sure you're done by now. Okay, now, person, maybe a row or two ahead of you, just go ahead and shout out, like, maybe, like, the, the greatest sin that you've ever committed. Okay? Just go ahead. I'll just pause for a few seconds. Great. Great. Nice job. Good. Your greatest struggle, sin tendencies. Awesome. Well done. Okay. No, I'm, for real, though, like, when you remember that you're dead to sin... Uh, you must identify areas that you're sinning. <laughs> you, you need to go, I'm really, I'm actually not struggling here. I am loving to sin here. And I have not been remembering that I'm dead to that. I need to cut it out of my life. We'll learn how to do that in Romans 8. You must consider yourself dead to sin. Once the, the Spirit, once you reflect on it, and He brings to mind the areas of sin in your life, like ask Him, Lord, how, how can I consider this area of my life dead now? Like, I know I'm no longer under its power, but I feel its wooing effects. Would you train my palate differently? Help me to repent of it and turn. So this is called the doctrine of repentance in the Christian life. When you realize your sin, you must, you must turn from it. And this is a gift of God. So number one is, remember, you are dead to it. Number two, die daily. You, you might think, wow, Newman's really into death and dying. Really, I'm just trying to... This is the beauties of expositional preaching. You just follow it and explain it. So hopefully you, you won't leave here going, whoa, Newman said some cool things. You're like, can you believe the Bible? Can you believe how God wants to help me in my sin? Okay. So number two is die daily. Die daily. That's from 1 Corinthians 15, 31, where Paul says, I die daily. So the simple application would be look for opportunities this week to die to yourself which is completely an unselfish way to live, right? Like ask the Lord to reveal, in what ways, Lord, am I living selfishly for myself? I know you want me to die to myself. Would you help me? This is the way of Christ. This is the way of the believer. This is how the believer prays. So, do you see how so far chapters one through five, like if we could just summarize it with the doctrine of salvation, but specifically justification, do you see how it doesn't promote licentiousness, ungodliness, lawlessness? Do you see that so far? If it's if not, that's okay. We'll continue to like mull this over over the next weeks. But it's really important that you see and hear that Christians make great fathers. They make great mothers and grandmothers. They make great students. Christians are the best citizens. 
They care for other souls. They're good siblings towards one another because they love God and they want to follow Him. And they want to, to obey Him because He is their Master. That's Christians. So where do you need to die daily? I, too, am under this text. I'm not above it. And number three, walk in newness of life. And this will be our primary emphasis next week. But you need to hear it this week. Hey, the Christian life isn't just about repenting of your junk and not doing bad stuff. Okay? The Christian life is, is turning from those and pursuing something that is better. You're, you're replacing your love for what is grotesque with, with a love of Christ and his ways. And so this week, pursue Jesus with all you got. Like, he, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Like, He provides life. He sustains life. So pray a lot. My favorite quote on prayer is, the more I pray, the more I pray. Martin Luther, right? Like, read the Word. Be immersed in it. Be around other believers. And, and have the courage to speak about Him. To speak about your struggles. To speak about your sins. Hey, I'm struggling here. Would you help me? I'm, I need to lean on you here. That's the Christian life, too. It's like beautiful. I love being with you guys. One more, like, just plug, and then we'll close our time, okay? Not plug, but just encouragement for you and how to live the Christian life. We talked um, the last three weeks up, in, and out to reach up and love God, to, to reach out and love the lost and draw them near, and to reach in to, to pursue and care and disciple those within the body of Christ um, and, and, and to grow with one another. One great way to grow also, besides prayer and reading the scriptures and, and coming to church and singing, there's all these um, theologians call them um, graces, like, like agencies or pathways or, or guardrails to run on to grow, structures within the scriptures, right? Another great way to grow is reading good gospel-saturated books. Do it by yourself and do it with someone else. So I brought five books. Did I bring five? Maybe a couple more. Maybe a couple more. Uh, one, two, three, four, five. All right, I bought six books and this journal. Okay, so um, here's a little book plug, okay? You've got to be reading. You've got to, like, set your minds on the things of the Spirit um, because that is life and peace. Our whole ambition, our whole MO this year is to, like, plaster you with things of the Spirit, I mean, we just want you to drink out of a fire hydrant of the things of the Spirit, okay? So here's one, all right? This um, is a book by John Owen. It's called Overcoming Sin and Temptation, all right? If you're a reader, this is a, this is a little bit more astute, a little bit more theological, a little bit more heavy, right? Um, and this would be a great one if you said, man, I feel like I've read a lot of fluff lately. Uh, you know, I want to go deep in, in investigating sin. If you want to do that, you got to read the Puritans. John Owen was one of the best of them. He, um, within, this, within, within this volume, there's three classic works in here. One of them is called The Mortification of Sin, and it's one of the best 
uh, treaties on how to deal with your sin. And as your pastor, I want to help you in that, okay? Um, here's one. The, this is, um, let me, yeah, let me hold up three at once because they're all by the same guy named Jerry Bridges. I know some of you who have been in the faith a while have heard about this guy. Classic books on how, how to grow in Christ. Here's the discipline of grace. God roles, God's role and our role in the pursuit of holiness. Great book. Another one, The Practice of Godliness by Jerry Bridges. Um, great book. And The Practice of Godliness. Oh, I brought two of the same. I brought two of the same. The Pursuit of Holiness was the one I was trying to bring, but I saw that I had a second copy and I thought I'd give it away. Who wants it? Who wants it? Caden. You got it, bro. Nice catch. Nice catch. I love it. All right. All right. Now, the commitment um, to catching that book is that I need a 10-page uh, paper, uh, eight-point font, single space. Just kidding. All right. Uh, the Doctrine of Repentance. If, if you, so far, okay, have been like, no one has ever talked about sin to me. I don't know the first thing about how to deal with it, okay? This, look, it's very small, um, but this is uh, by a guy named Thomas Watson, and it is the best book on repentance, okay? It's, hot, it's thinking deeply about it. Theologians call this, um, um, call this grace. Bad theologians call it cheap grace. Cheap grace handles it like this. Oh, Lord, sorry about my sin. Thanks for helping me feel better. That's not God's plan for your life. And so this would be a great book. But you got to read it with someone, okay? you got to read it with someone. We would say, grow together. It's called discipleship, right? So if like in your community group, someone shares, like pursue them and say, hey, how about we read this book together and meet once a week? It'd be awesome, okay? Uh, this one is called The Doctrine of Repentance. This is by Thomas Watson. And then uh, this one is the one that I'm reading uh, during our uh, study of 6, 7, and 8. And it's called How Does Sanctification Work? It's such a pretty book, isn't it? <laughs> this guy by a man named David Powelson, who is an, uh, was, he passed away recently, was an excellent biblical counselor. And so he he just speaks directly to the soul, and uh, it is also small. It's um, you know hundred some pages, hundred nine, hundred and twelve pages. So, um, how does sanctification work? Okay, none of them are in the book cart. They're all about eight or ten bucks on Amazon, and um, I only get fifty percent of those uh, proceeds. Just kidding. Love you guys. Let's pray. And then let's respond to God's word um, through song, okay? So, Father, we love you, and we love that you have a plan for our life beyond just our conversion date. That you are causing growth, you're causing change, and you have a plan till we die and then beyond. But, Lord, as we live, we need your help. We need help to, to look to you to pursue newness of life. And we need help dealing with our sin. Would you grow this church in depth? And Lord, as we bask in your grace and forgiveness, 
We ask you that you would bring in the lost, that they would have the questions, and that we would be ready to answer them equipped for every good work. We love you so much. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen.